Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Lane. Welcome to More Than a Club podcast, episode eight. Once again, I'm your host, Bill Leahy, along with Coach Marty Cuprian, youth director here at NXT Sports, and we have an amazing show for you today, which will be a little bit different. Coach? Thanks, Bill. I'm excited to welcome two friends to our program today in true More Than a Club fashion. When we started coaching lacrosse programs with Next here in Philly, we used the phrase, we want to change the youth lacrosse experience. In time, we've done more to positively impact the larger world of youth sports. Today's show will focus on topics of safety in youth sports with two experts from that field that are difference makers that I'm glad are on our team here at Next. Today we welcome Ian McGinnis and Ellis Mayer. Ian is currently the Director of Participant Health and Safety at Next Sports, and Ellis is the co-founder of the per diem athletic training app called go for ellis Ellis and Ian are athletic trainers. Athletic trainers are certified and licensed healthcare professionals who are trained in injury and illness prevention, immediate and emergency care, clinical evaluation and diagnosis, and therapeutic intervention and rehabilitation of injuries and medical conditions. We'll get started with our youth sports hot topic. This one today is really for everyone in our listening audience. I'll be in the front row taking notes. Ian, you take it away. Thanks, Goop. That was a great definition there. Um, So one thing I really wanted to address and I think would be good for everybody to know more about is concussion. Um, Concussion has obviously been a hot topic in sports over the past five to ten years. Um, So first, let me give you a little bit of of my background uh, with relation to concussion. So I did my undergraduate degree at Temple University where I had the opportunity to work in the uh, sport concussion lab as a research assistant. During that time, I was fortunate enough to work on the largest concussion study in history, the NCAA DOD Grand Consortium. And during that time, I was able to perform baseline and post-injury assessments on our Temple University athletes. Uh, I also had the opportunity to travel up to the United States Military Academy to perform baseline assessments on the cadets up there. Um, so I've been around concussions for quite a while, and it's an interest area of mine. Um, So first, I'm just going to give a quick definition that will probably be very unfulfilling to a lot of people. Um, So a concussion is a temporary change in brain function following a direct or indirect blow to the head. Um, And so you don't have to be hit directly in the head to sustain a concussion. And you also don't have to be knocked unconscious to sustain a concussion. Um, I'll tell you right away that there are a lot more things that are unknown about concussion than are known. and that's really kind of the problem with assessing them. And so concussions are a functional injury rather than a structural injury. And what that means is it changes the function of your brain rather than damaging any structures in your brain. What that means for us in assessing them is that we can't take an image and see a concussion in the same way that you could see a broken bone on an X-ray or a torn ACL on an MRI. Uh, There's no x-ray, CT scan, MRI, or blood test that can diagnose someone with a concussion. It's a diagnosis that's made exclusively through clinical examination, you know, interviewing, asking the patient questions, maybe doing a balance exam or an eye exam. And so the information that you're getting is more subjective than objective. Uh, And that's what makes the assessment so challenging, particularly in a club sports setting where the athletic trainer or the clinician might not know the athlete very well or what they are like normally. And so we're working generally with very little information there. 
it seems in the past five years, I mean, as a coach at school, that there's been a real uh, significant change in education for parents, for coaches. I mean, now I, I had to be certified or pass a test on my education of a concussion. Uh, we know more about the, the symptoms of a concussion, not putting them back into the game and having a protocol to follow. I mean, why all of a sudden in five years? Obviously, we learned more. Was it this study? Was it other studies? Was it the NFL? Yeah, so obviously the NFL lawsuit had a lot to do with it, and that introduced a lot of legislation across the United States that mandated education for uh, coaches and uh, people who were responsible for children who were playing sports. Um, yeah, it used to be not very long ago that the only assessment or diagnostic criteria for a concussion was if somebody was knocked unconscious. Uh, anything short of that, they pretty much went back into the game, which you know now we're seeing those deleterious effects of, you know, football players who played in the 80s and 90s are now getting older and you start to see you know the influence from all of those head impacts and not having them assessed appropriately and removed from play. So without an MRI or a CAT scan we have to base our understanding of a player's concussion or a possible concussion on their symptoms. Yeah that's exactly right so that's the main diagnostic criteria we have them go through a symptom checklist and rate each symptom on a scale of zero to six normally um, there are other things that you do too. Part of the exam is a cognitive exam where we look at their orientation, their immediate memory, concentration, you know, we check their balance. Something else that gives us a pretty good idea is looking at their eyes. Um, you know, the vision is a very complex, complex system and it's, um, its areas in the brain are very well distributed. So it gives you a pretty good idea of what's going on. If their eyes aren't able to track appropriately or they're not able to focus on a certain object, um, that might be an indication that they're dealing with something. So I've read conflicting reports. It's probably my understanding. There's probably no <laughs> conflict there. But um, the idea of headaches. I've read that some people have headaches. That's clearly a symptom of a concussion and that they should gently work through that if it isn't past like a four out of ten. And then others say you just shut it down. I'm talking more as a guidance counselor when students come back to school after a concussion. So I know there's a kind of they can return to school, which is different than returning to learn. Yeah, so that's something that has changed uh, in recent years, probably in the past two or three years. It used to be complete rest. You know, go in a dark room, don't do anything, don't play games, don't go for a walk, don't go outside. Um, that's really kind of changed, and that, that tends to prolong the symptoms of a concussion. Really? Because one of the symptoms could be, uh, of the injury itself, could be depression or anxiety. Um, well, that's only worsened if you're not going to school, you fall behind on your schoolwork, you're not seeing your friends. Uh, so the isolation can actually make it worse. And we're finding that some activity, mild activity, um, sub-symptom threshold activity is what they call it, uh, might be like very mild aerobic exercise is actually beneficial for the healing process. All right, so I did okay today because I got an email from a parent. Young man had a concussion. He said he still had some slight headaches. So I wrote back saying, just check with your parents and your doctor because exams are coming, which will take intense focus which is different than yeah. just watching a, a video on the Civil War. And so I just said, just check and let me know before we move into this intense next 10 days what your doctor and what your parents say. So I, I did all right, right, guys? Yeah, okay. and some schools have programs that they can make academic accommodations for kids who they know are dealing with injuries, and um, each school is individual in that regard. So closing up the discussion on concussions here, uh, it's been a rough week with Carson Wentz going down, the Eagles going out. Um, but I was actually explaining to uh, the people I was watching the game with some of the concussion protocol um, that I've seen through Ian and Ellis. So we're certainly lucky to have them around our next athletes. Moving on to our next 
uh, part of the show. We like to do an X and O inside of the week for coaches. It's going to be a little bit different today coming from one of our experts and Ellis is going to take that segment. Thanks, Coop. Um, so our best practices for the week are X's and O's. Um, are we just really want to give some advice to our coaches and our program program administrators. We're going to take a macro approach with our program administrators and a micro approach with our coaches. Um, we're going to start with our coaches. So um, get to know your players is our best advice for you. Um, do, does anybody on your team have asthma? Do they have allergies? Do you know where they keep their inhaler or their EpiPen? Do you know if they have any other uh, sort of pre-existing medical conditions like diabetes that might affect them when they're playing in the game? Do they have to come out and test their blood sugars? Things like that. Um, Coaches can be a huge asset, especially when you're traveling on a tournament. If somebody gets hit on your team and they're just not acting right, and you can go over to the athletic trainer or the medical staff on site at that tournament and say, hey, normally Brooks is a really happy-go-lucky kid. He's just not acting himself. We did see him get hit. Can you take a look at him? Um, another thing you can take a look at is I don't necessarily know how fast your kids are or how well they move. And you can say, listen, they're just not running. They're at full speed. They're not, they're not quite where they should be. Um, and you can really kind of advocate for your kids medically if you, get, if you know your players well. Um, from a macro approach for our program administrators, uh, we want to just give you a little bit of advice on um, making sure you organize the little details ahead of time. All those little things can add up to saving a life in the long run. So making sure your staff is trained on what to do in an emergency, knowing do they know what the address of the venue is? If somebody has to call 911, where does the ambulance come in? Where does it get to, do you have the keys to the gates to open up to get the ambulance on the field? Um, are your coaches CPR and AED certified? Is there an AED at your venue? If everybody's certified but there's no AED, that's not very helpful either. Um, what do you do when lightning strikes? Uh, Coach Leahy and Coop, I remember a couple summers ago, we were caught out uh, with a thunderstorm rolling in at LaSalle High School. The lacrosse field is not necessarily close to where our lightning safe shelter was, which was the cafeteria. And we had about 100 campers to move across campus, but we did it um, through communication and planning before and ahead of time. We knew where we were going. We told all the kids. We had all the all the coaches that were there helping to move everybody along. And we were very successful that day, but that's because we took time to plan and have those conversations with our staff before the lightning struck. We also knew as, as the storm was rolling in, we're far from the building, so we should probably go sooner than later instead of getting stuck in the stuck in the uh, in the lightning storm. That's great information. And as a coach, and for coaches who are listening for the years at LaSalle, I would just get so stressed with what you said about like knowing each guy. I just felt like my job is to to coach a lacrosse game, and yet the big ones who had asthma, the big ones about peanuts if we were traveling especially later in my career, you had to write these things down. But every field I arrived at, whether it was home or away, it was to meet the trainer and be able to hand that list over to the trainer so that I could focus on the task at hand, which is the coach. And I knew that the trainer was there. The times you didn't have a trainer, which is so seldom now, but they were the worst. I'd be so stressed out thinking about my guys. I got to coach the game. I got to care for them. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not even a trainer. And yet I have this whole list of guys with um, you know, needs, which are really, really important. So if you're out there listening and you're a youth coach, I get it. That's a lot of responsibility. Find the trainer at the field. And if you're a high school coach, find the trainer immediately yeah. <laughs> from the opponent school or, or your own school. And, and then make sure you have a way to call for emergency. Absolutely. Like we had the app at LaSalle. I forget what it was, a prize. And we were able to contact immediately emergency services. The parents received an email and all that was happening. Practice stopped and we were caring for the needs of the injured 
player. Yeah, and it's a little bit different everywhere you go. Sometimes college campuses, you don't necessarily call 911. They want you to call campus safety first. So just kind of getting to know the venues where you are, whether you're operating a camp at a college campus or a tournament, just knowing what the what the emergency protocols are of everywhere you are. Um, it's just some good insight for our program administrators. Yeah, that's really helpful. The things I'm writing down or putting in bold are, are simple. You know, know your team, organize the little details, and kind of know your surroundings. And I think those go beyond youth sports or coaching, um, but a great job by Ellis there for our coaches and administrators listening. At some point, I am going to finish our points on the All Blacks as we get to our culture building segment. So I promise you in the next episode or two, we'll finally get to All Black principle number five and wrap that up. But in the meantime, our guests have a topic of their own. So with our culture building, we're talking about how to be a good teammate today. Um, so our first point that we want to talk about is take care, take care of yourself. Report your own injuries and report them early. If your goal is that you want to play in the game on Friday, but your, your quad or your hamstring is a little bit sore on Monday, don't wait till Thursday when it's even worse. Come to us on, on Monday and say, hey, something's not right. Can you take a look at it? And we can modify practice. We can work with your coaches. We can, we can do some exercises and get you, get you where you need to be. So don't just show up to the tournament and at game time tell your coach the injury because that happened to me this past weekend. And I'm looking at a kid like, you got to be kidding me. We get that a lot all the time at uh, tournaments. Ian and I, people are like, can you fix this now? And I'm like, no, <laughs> not right now. We're not magical. But if you were to come on Monday, it could work some magic along the week. So, yeah, reporting those, reporting your, your injuries early and addressing that stuff, taking care of your bodies early on. Um it's a good way to be a teammate so you can be healthy for your teammates that are relying for you for that game at the end of the week. Um, another one is to, not to, that's taking care of yourself, but the other way to be a good teammate is take care of your teammates. So if you have a teammate that isn't doing well, whether they have a concussion, they got hit, you saw the hit, nobody else did. Like we saw Carson Wentz got hit, nobody else saw it until a couple of plays later. Um, report that it's okay for you to don't think you're a tattletale. It's a good thing for you to report those injuries. You're just looking out for the best interests of your friend on that team. Um, it's also really important. And I think, uh, coach Leahy, you can probably add what your some, uh, your guidance counselor wisdom here is if you know that one of your teammates is doing something unhealthy, some unhealthy behavior, or they're just struggling, it's, it's important for you to be a good teammate and report that too and say, Hey, I think Ian's having some trouble. And I think we need to, I think we need to look into how we can help him. Yeah, we did a lot of taking care of your brothers at LaSalle, whether that is a Friday night where somebody made some bad choices, making sure he gets home. Not sure why this happened, but get your brother home. And same in, in the locker room when it came to like Spanish. Make sure your brother's passing Spanish. If you're really good at Spanish, how is he failing? How is that possible when you have 40 guys and we're all in this together and we need that guy in our practice? And I wanted to point out a protocol we went through at LaSalle. Around 2016, we hired Mitch Green. He's going to be a guest coming up, a sports psychologist from the main line here in Philly. And he came and worked with our guys. And it was really interesting. He, he took our guys into a room, and we listed, they'd listed, and I had to bite my tongue and sit there. Um, but they listed qualities of the program that they, were really dear to them and things that stood out. And then, of course, they brainstormed on these index cards and put up on the board um, concerns that they had parts of the program that bothered them. And one of the things that popped out, which has to do with our topic here, I am heading that direction, was the idea that the players were possibly questioning each other on their injuries. And so they'd oh, say, yeah, well, you know, Johnny pulled his calf, but he's been out for a week, you know, and I have a sore knee and I'm there and I'm working. 
So we realized we had to address this once this was identified, and that's a culture problem. So the locker room was divided as kids questioned each other. And so the staff sat down, and we thought, this, this is a real concern. And we came up with a kind of a protocol on the whiteboard in the locker room. If you were injured, you were to list your name. Everybody did that. Even if I was going to be out or a coach, you'd say Leahy out on Tuesday. You had to see the trainer first at school, that our trainer at school was the first person to evaluate you. And then, of course, your parents chimed in. You went and saw your pediatrician or orthopedic. And then, without violating privacy, the young man would address his teammates. He'd say, I have a sore knee. He wouldn't get into the details. And the doctors and the trainer think I'm going to be out for about four or five days. At that point, all the dynamics changed. Instead of them questioning each other, the other teammates felt informed. And they started to turn and say, like, well, I hope you feel better. And it, it's Thursday. You know, will you be there tomorrow? Oh, I guess you need a couple more days. It went from questioning one another to almost empowering one another to care for each other and trust that nobody's taking advantage of this situation. They actually saw a trainer, if needed, the school trainer. They saw a doctor. They informed their teammates on a need-to-know basis. And sometimes they just said, I need to go in the hospital, and you know, I'm not comfortable sharing any more information. So it wasn't a open session. And this is when I'll be back. And then when you came back, you erased your name from the board. It just made such a difference, especially in this day and age with, with privacy rules and, um, and then guys just not trusting each other. And you don't have a locker room if you don't trust each other. So just Sharon, we were really proud of it. It worked great. <laughs> Nobody questioned when I was out. I was going to ask you guys, um, Ellis or Ian, for an example of uh, something you've seen of someone being a really good teammate or maybe a poor teammate? Um, yes, this actually leads into my point off of what Coach Leahy was saying, that um, if you've ever been injured before, which is basically everybody if they've played sports for like more than a year, um, it can be a really isolating experience. And so if one of your teammates is injured, be sure to encourage them and involve them in practice as much as, they, as, much as you can. Um, if they're on the sidelines performing some rehab, offer them some encouragement as you pass them and uh, ask them about their recovery and how they're feeling. It does a lot to, um, uh, to help them feel better. Um, additionally, if you're the one that's injured, be sure to involve yourself in practice as much as you can. Um, like Coach Leahy was saying, if they don't see you around, they might start to maybe question your injury. I don't know if that's necessarily warranted in every situation, but if you're a practice, don't just goof off on the sidelines, you know. Pay attention, encourage your teammates, offer them feedback on what they're doing well and how they can improve, and take some mental reps. Uh, I'm sure coaches love to, to say that. Yeah, we had a way of taking care of guys. If we knew somebody was going into the hospital on Thursday, so Wednesday in practice, we'd have like a laying on of hands. We'd all hit them on the head and make sure he got in the <laughs> middle of the huddle. And, of course, the day they came back, we'd make sure everybody ran over to him and gave him a man hug and hit him on the head and welcomed him back and we missed you. And just that sense of community and saying you were valued and you were missed. And now you're back. So yeah, let's absolutely. march on. Great stuff, guys. All right. Now we're going to move to our guest roundtable section of this show. Let's learn a little bit more about Ian and Ellis. Ian, give us more of your background. So I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia. Um, I went to high school at Father Judge. Um, I played all kinds of sports growing up, uh, basketball, baseball, soccer, all that stuff. When I got into high school, I started to focus on football and track and field. And when I went to college, I went and did track and field at Manhattan College. Um, after a year or two there, I ended up injuring my wrist, transferring back to Temple, uh, where I started the athletic training program there. Um, when I started the athletic training program, my initial interest it was in working in professional sports. Uh, that's kind of what I wanted to do, being in a, a packed football stadium on Sundays. Um, 
that changed when I had my first clinical experience at a high school. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work at St. Joe's Prep with their football team over the course of a fall season. And I saw myself in those kids and them uh, getting all the benefits of sports that I got when I was a kid. And, you know, it really made me admire the people who work in that setting. And I think there's always going to be people who want to fulfill those professional sport roles. Um, but I knew at that point that I wanted to work in youth and high school sports. Um, something else that I really enjoy about being an athletic trainer is the education component. So educating people about the injury process and then empowering kids to be tough too. You know, one of my favorite groups to work with is the young kids. Uh, and a lot of their injuries I would characterize as boo-boos and ouchies. Um, but it's nice because they're at that age where they don't know what it's like to be injured and they don't really know what experiencing pain is like. And, you know, telling them that it's okay to be a little bit sore. You can still kind of work through it, that there's nothing really wrong. I think it feels really good for them to hear from somebody who's not their parent or not their coach and someone who is, quote, qualified to, uh, to answer that. Um, so my current role, uh, I'm the director of participant health and safety at Next Sports. Uh, so I'm the head athletic trainer for all of our next club teams. Um, my bigger role probably is working on the event side where I plan and organize medical coverage for our next events. You know, last year we had over 30 events in 12 different states. So I organize the medical coverage for those. And I also write and revise policy to ensure that we're in line with best practices, both on the event side and the. You mentioned folks being hurt, injured. They're really different be hurt and injured at least I always thought they were oh certainly yeah so you know some soreness is expected like we, we have kids who come uh on the girl side at least who come from field hockey practice to lacrosse practice so school then field hockey then lacrosse some of the the boys do football like they'll come from football practice to a lacrosse practice at night and I'm like you're gonna have to expect to be sore sometimes <laughs> like that's okay um it's good to always come over and get checked out and I can tell you that when it gets to a point where we should be concerned, I can tell you that. And that's, that's what I'm there for, for doing the evaluation. And uh, if it's at a point where I think you need to take some time off or go see a specialist, then I'll tell you that. But a lot of times it's, it's okay to pay, play through some pain. Yeah, right or wrong, we used to say to the guys at LaSalle, if you're hurt, you're practicing. You might need treatment. You might need to be taped. You might need to be in the ice bath. Injured, you can make it worse for yourself and for all of us. And so you're shut down in street clothes. There's a real difference. They'd look at me like I had two heads, especially the guys who were like, but I'm hurt. I can't practice. I'm like, no, no. Remember our definition, which <laughs> yeah. takes you really to my, another comment that you made is the idea of toughness. Uh, we used to have the guys define toughness and to hear their definitions so that we could all kind of get on the same page because there's some definitions that are just wrong. Like playing through injury isn't being tough. You're injured. You should be focused on recovering and getting well. That's not tough. That's dumb. Yeah, you're not helping anybody either. Yeah, it was really interesting. Yourself, not helping your team. So we'll hear a little bit more from Ellis now and her background, and then we'll hit them with a barrage of questions and uh, hear a little bit more about some of the more interesting things they've mentioned. So Ellis, give us your background. <laughs> Thanks, Coop. Um, I did my undergrad at Penn State. Um, I graduated there uh, and then quickly moved right into the secondary school setting. So I also Philadelphia Catholic League. I worked at Monsignor Bonner for my first job out of, out of school. Um, and right away, I started doing per diem work on the side for Next. That's how I met you way back then. Um, we were a much smaller organization back then. We weren't doing podcasts or anything like that. Um, didn't have an app. Um, we were running camp, and we were and barely even had club teams, actually, at that point, too. So we were only at the high school level. Um, and 
I started asking questions like, hey, do you guys have an AED? Do you have an emergency action plan? Made <clears throat> made a couple of you a little bit nervous. Uh, I know it was made, made the lawyer of the group a little bit worried we were going to get sued. Sounded like those things were important, that we should have it. So I was brought on as a consultant. So I started writing the policy development policies and um, the emergency action plans and try, starting to train you guys on on how we how you should act when somebody's hurt or how you should act when there is an emergency. Um, uh, for those three years, I was just kind of part-time per diem with Next, and then um, I ended up leaving and going and got my master's degree at Boston University. Um, after I finished my, I worked with the field hockey and men's rowing team, men's rowing team up there. Um, and then in those two years, Next really exploded. Uh, by the time we left, I left BU, we were running over 40 tournaments in 13 different states, and we were all over the place. So it was really, you guys needed a full-time director of participant health and safety, which is now Ian's job, but um, that's where, where I kind of segued back into a full-time position here. Um, one of my biggest challenges that we found throughout uh, my time at Next was finding athletic trainers. So we had these tournaments in all these different states, and there was a different solution for how I would find all of our medical professionals at our events. So if we were in Indianapolis, I would call uh, a, a certain big PT company. If I was down in, we were down in Georgia, I'd call a person that ran a PT, uh, their own per diem company. If we were in South Carolina, I'd write the professors in the area. So there was all these piecemeal ways to try and find athletic trainers. Um, we knew what they are. We were will more than willing to pay for them. We wanted them on our sidelines, but we were really hard to find. Um, so a couple of my colleagues at Next came up with the idea of uh, the importance of having athletic trainers on the sidelines and how it needs to be able to, needs to be easier to find them. So that's actually how we came up with the idea of Go for Ellis. We kind of took that Care.com or that Uber model and applied it to per diem athletic training services. We thought if we could get all the athletic trainers in one area on one platform, then anybody can go ahead and, and find an athletic trainer and, and you don't have to know somebody or know an athletic trainer, or ask your high school ath athletic trainer um, if they know anybody that can work that weekend. So that's how we came up with the idea of Go For Else is we wanted to make youth sports safer by making athletic trainers more accessible. That's really cool. I When I explain it, I compare it to being a certified teacher but not having a full-time teaching job. You enter the substitute teacher network and people can give you per diem jobs um, or you can collect them yourselves and um, there really was no centralized spot for certified athletic trainers you just had to be on someone's list or um, a friend of a friend or um, it was really a more of an informal network so I guess how has that changed the industry for athletic trainers young and old yeah, I mean, I think we were, pro we're providing a lot of different new and unique opportunities for athletic trainers. So um, we have, we've become really hot in the world of Quidditch. Uh, we've got a lot Seriously? of, I guess, we yeah. have a lot of Quidditch events on Gopharellis. Uh, Ultimate Frisbee, a lot of college club sports. So there's a, that's a, a really big growing area within the profession too. We have athletic trainers at lacrosse practice. Why aren't they at club lacrosse practice? It's the same sports, the same practice, the same game. Why, why aren't these these athletes being taken care of as well. So a lot of college club sports. So we're creating a lot of different um, opportunities for athletic trainers to enter into these different uh, settings, especially in the youth sports market as well. As we know, it's a billion-dollar market. There are tons and tons of kids out there playing sports. Um, when we were with Next, we used to say there's a right way 
to, to do this and there's a wrong way to do it. And the wrong way is to cut corners around safety. So, um, for all the parents out there, if you don't have an athletic trainer on your sidelines, I highly suggest that you get one. Yeah. And I'll put Ian on the spot. I want to say it's, it's more than a hundred thousand dollars a year that we're spending on athletic trainers at next. Is that true? Yeah, I actually ran some numbers last week. Uh, last year it was 120,000. So yeah, we invest a lot into safety and, um, it's a big component of what we do. It's really at the forefront of everything we do. So there's a lot that goes into it. So Ian, can you talk to me a little bit more about the events and what goes into that? You said you oversee our events. Um, tell me again, the number of events and the number of states, and then what are those little things that go into planning, um, the little details? Right. So as I mentioned earlier, last year we had over 30 events in 12 different states. You know, as far west as Indiana, south as Florida, as north as Connecticut, you know, Georgia, South Carolina. So we're pretty far spread out. And so the number one thing that I look into doing is hiring the appropriate medical staff. So Ellis made my job super easy by making an app for it. So I post these jobs, uh, the athletic trainers apply. I sort through the resume, make sure they have all their clearances and stuff. And can hire them that way and reach out to them. So we staff athletic trainers at a rate of one athletic trainer for every two fields in play. Um, U.S. lacrosse mandates one athletic trainer for every three fields in play, but uh, we're a little extra over here, so we try to exceed that, the expectations. Um, uh, the second thing would be emergency action planning. So an emergency action plan is a document, and it's basically a blueprint of what will happen in the, in the event of emergency. So most athletic injuries are relatively minor in nature, but life-threatening and limb-threatening injuries can occur rarely, but without warning. And so there needs to be a plan, in, a plan in place to handle those situations as they arise. And so the Emergency Action Plan, or EAP, uh, it details all the individuals working at the events and what their roles are, what they're supposed to do in the event of an injury. Uh, it also has our extreme weather policies, um, like lightning and heat and what we do in those circumstances. Uh, next is making sure we have the appropriate medical equipment, so an AED and cold water immersion. AED is obviously for cardiac events. Um, cardiac or sudden cardiac arrest is the number one cause of death in youth sports or sports in general, I should say. And so having that on site and having people who are CPR and AED trained is extremely important. Uh, coming in close at a close second or third is exertional heat stroke. And so especially in the summer, having the cold water immersion stations so we can quickly treat those is very important. Uh, next is monitoring weather. Uh, next subscribes to an industry-leading weather monitoring system, DTN Weather Sentry, and we can monitor as many as 10 to 15 locations at the same time and get alerts uh, for extreme heat or lightning um, or extreme cold or wind. Uh, running on a little bit long here, but next is having equipment and signage so that people know where we are and how to find us athletic trainers. Communication is kind of taken care of through uh, the walkie-talkies that we have to communicate between athletic trainers and the event staff, and then documenting all of our injuries so that we can kind of look at things at the end and follow up with people if it's necessary to see how they're doing and if they're okay. A little bit off the cuff, I have a question for both of you, so just chime in. Last summer, I was helping out with the 2020 under 19 tryouts and as we were leaving I asked the trainer where, where are you heading next and she said to Las Vegas I guess the national conference was in Vegas and I said any hot topics or you know breaking news and she said well the guest or keynote speaker was going to be uh, about repetitive injuries and the fact that sometimes they're seeing students come into college now with a body beat up as what used to be a guy leaving or a woman leaving 
college. And so now you have young baseball players coming in who've already had Tommy John surgery when they used to have Tommy John surgery as a pro. And I guess that comes to multiple overuse, repetitive injuries. I mean, yeah, early sports specialization has been a huge topic um, of discussion within the athletic training community. Um, and we're trying to disperse it to everybody else as well. Um, that's actually kind of my real true passion is that I worked at the division one level. I worked at Penn state I worked at Boston university and you're exactly, you're exactly right. We had all these 20 somethings that were surgical candidates having hip surgery. And, and then once you have surgery, then we have other consequences down the line, like osteoarthritis and all the other consequences of having different surgical procedures down the road. Um, and so that was really what kind of struck me is I was seeing these elite, uh, 20 somethings having these surgeries and I'm thinking what could we have done earlier had there been a, an athletic trainer on the sideline earlier like Ian saying no you're you're injured or you're hurt or listen you, you really do need to back off or um, you talking about specialization maybe maybe you don't need to go to from this camp to that clinic to that thing and play the same position all the time I mean we see it in our tournaments a lot by the end of the summer a lot of these kids are really beat up and my advice at the end of summer is just go to the beach, go be a kid, go climb a tree, go Definitely. play tag. Go get a job. Please. Go get a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything but more. You know, it's interesting. I was giving a, a talk in Philadelphia here this weekend, and I said, just playing a lot doesn't make you better. If you're just playing a lot and you're playing poorly or being coached poorly, you're not getting better. In fact, you're getting worse. You're Absolutely. reinforcing just bad lacrosse. And I think physically and emotionally, that's also true. There's a time and a place to put your stick down or your soccer ball down and walk away and go get a, go to the beach. And when you come back to your stick, and this was different in my generation, but you missed it. You picked it up and you were vibrant and you were excited. And you asked, you were rusty. However, by economies of scale, you were excited to get back to it. You, you dove into it and your stick work got better or whatever aspect you were studying your soccer dribbling got better faster. Versus if somebody just plays all the time, it, it almost becomes zombie-like. Absolutely. I always joke with my wife. burnout. Yeah, I, I joke with my wife. I, I love you. I'm, I'm with you all the time. And I end up kind of taking for granted. But then I, I go away for the weekend. I come back and I'm like, hey, how you doing, kid? <laughs> you know, like, I really love you. I just don't see some players putting the stick away so that absence can make the heart grow fonder. And yeah. So and that was back. one of the things that I really liked about next. when I first started working there I was working with Coop and he understood that they, it was football season and he wanted his kids to go play football. And, and you were always a big proponent of the multi-sport athlete. I mean, I'm sure you can talk about a couple of your players that are successful now in college because they played other sports. Yeah. It's something we've talked about on every podcast that we're figuring out the most successful lacrosse players are multi-sport guys. And usually they're they're guys that are putting the stick down and, and getting back to it rather than going from one thing to the next. And those are the ones that are burning out. You know, if their parents think they have to do every camp and every prospect day, it's usually not ending well for anyone there. So really cool to talk with you about some of those topics off the podcast as we have been for years. And the next thing I wanted to ask was, you know, obviously you are out there educating people. I think you're also traveling all over the country uh, to learn more and also to spread the the app a go for Ellis. So could two-part question Could you tell us more about you know touring around with go for Ellis and then also educating others both on the athletic training side of things and then on the coaching side of things? Yeah, um, we've been kind of all over the place um, all over the country Spreading the the app we have about 8,000 athletic trainers on the platform nationally um, we have about 1,400 event operators. We've wow. run over 55,000 hours through the platform as well. 
Could you give me any, a couple examples of event providers? Event providers. So we've done everything from, like I said, some Quidditch. We've done colleges. So, so uh, like University of Maryland used us. Um, Salem State uses us a lot. It's in Supplemental State, Joe's University. Um, we have a lot of high schools that are high school athletic trainers who have athletic trainers, but they also need help. So they, they're at basketball, they're at wrestling, but they need help they need help at the ice hockey rink. They can't make it all the way down the ice hockey rink because they're busy with, with everybody on campus. So, um, our event providers have really been in all different sports, all different areas of the country, um, practices, clinics, tournaments, we're, we're kind of, we've covered a lot of our bases. So, um, and then also educating has been a big part of this as well. We, our sales team's awesome. They do a really good job of educating event operators in all different settings about the importance of athletic trainers. Um, I've also been kind of on the road to lecturing, um, both in person and digitally through zoom in a lot of different classrooms, um, uh, talking to undergraduate and graduate athletic training students about per diem athletic training and the best practices around it and the safest way to do it and how it, it can be a really great work opportunity. I mean, I wouldn't be here um, if I hadn't showed up to lacrosse practice with you a long time ago. So um, it definitely opens up some doors for a lot of different people. Um, we've also, I'll let Ian, I'm going to hit this one over to Ian. Uh, Ian and I have also been working on a couple of research projects recently, and I was going to let him kind of discuss the one that we uh, most recently just will be actually presenting this weekend at uh, the Eastern Athletic Trainers Convention. Great. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned earlier, we thoroughly document all the injuries that we encounter at our tournaments. And so in the summer of 2018, we ventured to complete a research project where we take all of those injuries and we calculate injury rates to determine the rate at which our athletes are getting injured. And then we compared that rate with um, the rate found in high school sports like lacrosse, high school or lacrosse, football, um, wrestling, those types of things. Uh, what you would expect is to see a similar number, and that's exactly what we saw. The problem is that athletic trainers are seldom available at club events, at least as far as we know. Uh, we know that they're much more available in the high school setting, and so with this data, we we hope to advocate for the presence of athletic trainers or healthcare professionals on the sidelines at club sporting events. So Ian and Ellis, what are some things our players can do to take better care of themselves heading into tournament weekends or their busy fall or summer seasons? So my number one piece of advice would be to get plenty of sleep, at least seven hours per night, preferably eight to nine hours. Um, you'd be so surprised uh, the detriments that occur uh, when you get less than seven hours per sleep from reaction time to athletic performance. It's well documented. Uh, please, please, please get seven hours of sleep per night. Uh, my second piece of advice would be to eat and drink well to fuel your body throughout the weekend. Uh, you have no idea the number of kids I see who aren't feeling well at like 12 p.m. and 80 degrees. Uh, they're on their second game of the weekend and they didn't have breakfast. Like, eat breakfast, please. Um, carbohydrates are the main fuel source for an exercising body. So, you know, eat breakfast in the morning, drink plenty of water. Good example of a breakfast would be, you know, a waffle or pancakes, maybe a couple of eggs, a glass of orange juice or milk. A bad example would be three sausage, egg, and cheese sizzlies from Wawa. <laughs> uh, real life example right there. Um, again, drink plenty of water, and between games, you should eat some small meals. You know, you're expending a lot of energy, a lot of calories during those games. Um, so eat small meals between games consisting of carbohydrates and, to a lesser extent, some proteins. 
Some fats are okay, uh, but only in small amounts. Fats can tend to slow digestion and can upset your stomach when you start to exercise. So, you know, a good example of an in-between game meal would be, you know, some kind of fruit, maybe an apple, maybe some grapes, a pretzel, maybe a protein bar, some Gatorade and water. That's really helpful. So last question would be, are there favorite next programs that you guys have? Maybe it's a uh, the boys club over the girls club. Maybe it's a certain age group or a certain tournament um, that you have a lot of fun or get a lot out of. So I guess I'll start with that one. the The most fun to work with for me would be uh, what Candace affectionately refers to as the chicken nuggets. <laughs> so like the twenty sevens through the twenty nines. It's just so much fun to see them out there running around. Um, like really enjoying the essence of sports and what you're supposed to get from it. You know, the team building, um, the camaraderie, the socialization, it's really kind of heartwarming to watch them play. And then also interacting with them too is always uh, a bundle of fun. From professional experience, the most uh, stimulating for me are working the event on the weekends. Um, there's always something new. There's always something challenging. You're always dealing with a new situation. Um, the fun never ends and uh, it, it really challenges you as a professional. Um, I got to agree with the nugget statement. I mean, I'm a big, even, even younger than that. The cradle across <laughs> is one of the most cradle, fun yeah. couple hours of your day. If you ever, if anybody here is listening and gets to witness cradle or has been a part of cradle, it's pretty awesome. Um, but I also do really love about, um, next is the longevity. So like, I love when Ryan Tarampico made the team and then we got to go see him commit to Ohio state. And now we get to watch him on TV. That's awesome. Um, we've had a lot of cool, like really su amazing success stories watching, um, uh, Ellie from, uh, the 2020s commit to Princeton as a freshman. Like that was awesome. And she's, she'll be there next year and it'll be so, so cool to watch her play, um, at the next level and watch the girls club grow. So, um, it's really great that it's, you guys have built such a great community and we get to watch these kids grow and develop over their lifespan and watch them succeed and go on to great things. Yeah, and I think it's excellent that you guys have been there consistently to, to actually have that relationship. And that's one of the things that's unique about Next and why we wanted to have you on as special guests here. So on behalf of all of our parents and coaches and players, uh, thanks for all the hustle and silly conversations sometimes and really serious conversations most of the time. So thank you guys. Thanks, Coop. The last section of our show is the rapid fire Next homework section, which I love because I get all this homework assignments for myself to go read. So I'm going to offer a topic, and the two of you have a shot clock on you to give us a good answer on recommended readings for players, parents, coaches, and then uh, you know, ask you what you're listening to or what you're reading these days. All right, so you ready to play? Yep. Homework for a player. So for our players, Ian and I want you to go find your athletic trainer and introduce yourself. Just even though you're not hurt or injured, walk right in and say, hi, I'm Ian McGinnis. I just want to introduce yourself. It's a great way to just develop and forge that relationship. I love that. That's great. Homework for a parent listening. So for a parent, uh, I'm going to give Coop a link to a blog post that I wrote. It's on the Go for Ellis blog. It's essentially just a list of items that parents should be aware of regarding uh, safety and youth sports. So you check that out. Homework for a coach who's tuning in. So I think for all of our coaches tuning in, if you are not CPR AED certified already, it's not hard to do. It's cheap. Um, it's, you're good for two years, and you never know, never know when it's going to come in handy. Well, you two nailed it. So what are you reading or listening to these days? 
Um, so we actually are, are going to give you guys a link too to um, a website that's run actually by the National Athletic Trainers Association. It's called AtYourOwnRisk.org. Um, it's a great resource for coaches, players, um, parents, anybody who wants to advocate for athletic trainers. It, it kind of tells you how you can help drive youth sports safety. Um, so something, a podcast I listened to recently that was really interesting um, was on the JAMA Network or the Journal of the American Medical Association. They interviewed uh, Niobe Way, who is a professional, professor of developmental psychology at NYU. And so she looked at uh, adolescent boys' need for friendship and how it affects their mental health. And so she performed longitudinal interviews with boys from childhood through adolescence and adulthood. Uh, looked at their view on friendship and how it affected their mental health. I think you guys would find that really interesting too. Yeah, teaching at all boys school, it just went to the top of my list. So thanks. <laughs> really interesting stuff there. I wanted to thank our guests, Ellis and Ian, for bringing such thought-provoking content to us today, for taking us away from just lacrosse and really into the sports world and the safety world. So that was great, and I'm sure we'll get a lot of feedback from our audience. So we encourage that. Also wanted to thank Justin, our podcast producer. Some of our audience has been asking me, how do you crank these things out? How does it go? Uh, we'll, we'll do a behind-the-scenes episode at some point, but thanks to Justin, who's producing the show, Bill for his tremendous work hosting, and our awesome guests. We're signing off from the Navy Yard in Philadelphia. Thank you. Nice work, gang. Two are exceptional. Thanks.